So I'm excited today about having Tim Shanter share with all of you. He was one of us, and he went out to Papua New Guinea to serve the people group, uh, the Yembe Yembe people. And uh, I'm excited. I've, have, I've heard him share in a couple other contexts uh, so far since he's been back. And I honestly believe that what he's going to share with you today is going to challenge you, to encourage, it's going to encourage you, and it's going to hopefully cause you to look differently at your neighbors, your coworkers, and... Uh, I'll just tell you this, uh, if you don't know how to do that, just mimic the life of Tim, and you'll do pretty good at mimicking Jesus, because he's following Jesus. So, Tim, you want to bring your words right. to us. Yeah, I, I told him to say that. Um, no, it's good to be home. It's been three and a half years since I've last seen you guys, and it's so good to be back home where I grew up. I grew up in the high school group here, and for those of you that are new, that seems to happen a lot here. Um, I, my name is Tim Chanter, and my wife's name is Courtney, and we have two little boys, Elijah and Judah, and we'll put a picture up on the screen. Um, this is what they look like in the center. Um, on our right, that's Brooks and Nina. Okay, those are our coworkers overseas. Okay, we do this job together, and there's our little son, Bo. Okay, and our, our boys played with their son. And then we have on the left, Tony and Tara Sutton. They're in Minnesota right now, awaiting their third. And their two children are Scarlett and Logan. And our kids will play together. We live out there. So where have we been? We've been in an island called Papua New Guinea. Do you know where that is? Some, some, someone said Africa. Or you're thinking Africa. No, it, it's an island north of Australia. Okay. And it's a long way. Yeah, he said, I knew it. I got it. Um, you go past Hawaii. You keep going just above Australia. That's where we've been the last three years. And we went to a village. And the name of that village is Yembi Yembi. And there's people that live in that village. Isolated, no roads. And they're in the middle of the jungle. And we built our house among them. And we live with our coworkers, the Busers and the Suttons. And we've lived there and been there for the last three years in order to plant a church and preach the gospel of Jesus. And you're like, well, why'd you guys go there? Well, I'm going to throw this up um, so you don't think I'm crazy. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Okay, so that's Matthew writing, but who's saying it? Jesus. Okay, and just so you don't think I'm making a big doctrine or something out of one verse, let's Go where it also talks about it in Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, follow me here. It's interesting. Where was Jesus when he said this? He was in Jerusalem, right? And so what was considered the end of the earth at that point in time? America, India, Spain, anything not there, wherever the gospel had not been preached, that was the end of the earth. And that command is still valid for every single one of us today, for the God's children to be about. That's why we went, guys. Not because we wanted to feel good or fulfill our duty in life and leave good karma. No. It was in order that these people who don't have a translation, don't have anybody who knows their language to give them the gospel, that we would give our lives for that. 
And now there's a church established. And their words are starting to be written down for the first time. And there's believers there. And so, I want to take you into Yemby. I want to give you a little glimpse of what it was like. So, go in your bulletin. There's a little pamphlet in there. It says, The Big Picture. Okay. There's a method, guys. I want you to understand something. We just don't jump in and start going into John 14, 6. There's a method to this. We've been doing this for nine years from the time we said go. So follow me here on that first one. It says in training. In that bottom green line, it tells you an average amount of years it takes for each of these steps. So you're like, I want to go. This, this is what you're looking at. Okay, so four years. We went through four years of training. Next, we went and we came back to Cornerstone. Hey, can you send us? And you guys sent us with some other churches. And so we got sent. We arrived to the field. And then we start getting orientated. We start to learn pidgin, which is the national language. And we start to uh, find coworkers. We found our coworkers. Guys, we learn pidgin. It's a means to an end, okay? People have asked, well, why don't you just take pidgin and go to Yembe and, and preach it to them? Because that's not their heart language. That's not them to communicate Christ. We learn pidgin so we can understand the language and use that and find the few that know it and kind of help bridge the gap to start learning the Yembe language. And then when we're out in town, we're able to speak intelligently to the people in the towns. And so we, we go through that, and then we go and we find a tribe, Yembe Yembe, and we build a house among them, not out in a, a lo, another location. They're our next-door neighbors in Yembe Yembe. Okay, that's the top line. Let's go to the bottom line. All right, that first one on the left, language and culture. Okay, Look at the time first. See how those two kind of go together. Language and culture, pre-evangelism. It's all before we start sharing God's message, okay? Okay, worldview study. When you want to study a worldview, you need to understand what it is first. So I, I, I have a slide here I want to show you. Okay. Oh. All right, I got to tell you a story. You're going to like it. Um, Courtney and I... Got to follow my notes here. Courtney and I... We had to get remarried in Yembe, okay? When we got to Yembe, they said, all right, we're going to adopt you in our clan. She had about 17 fathers. I had in the 20s fathers, tribal fathers, a number of brothers, okay? So put it on the slide. We're going to get married. Our first day in there, they're like, you want to be with us? You're going to get married. So in American culture, we walk down the aisle. Everyone smiles and stands. And it's very, you know, orderly. Not here. Do you see her mothers on the right there? They have these branches with leaves on them. And so as she's walking down, they start hitting her and hitting everyone else. And they're dancing and smiling. This is awesome. And then she's being held by her two brothers' hands. And she, all these lit women start lying down in front of her. And she has to kind of walk through there, walk over this bridge of people to finally she gets up there. Next slide. We're married. She doesn't look too excited there, I know. But we were. And the guys, we come and we embrace their culture. American culture, we leave it at the door. We embrace it with them. We become like them. We go out on hunts with them in order to find out their worldview. Now we're ready for the next slide. We want to find out the core. Here's an American worldview, okay? You see abortions take place, right? They just don't think that automatically, like, oh, let's abort. There's, there's a reason for that. There's a core network of beliefs that drives us to see, to do this outward behavior. Okay, so 
Someone in America believe there's an, an impersonal beginning. There's no God. Men's value is relatives. Okay, so it's whatever society says. The majority is always right. All right, well, if the majority decides that abortions are legal, people we elect in place, then abortions take place. Abortions must be okay because the majority is always right, right? But it starts from that center core of beliefs. Guys, that's what we go after. That's why we spend years learning their worldview, taking down the stories. When they, when they want to uh, cut down a tree and they open it up and they get food out of it, you know what they do first? They do a little magic sing, sing or a song. We call it Sing Sing in New Guinea, okay? And they hit the tree and they go, and they say a couple things after that, and they're hitting the tree. And I said, what are you doing? To my brother, what are you doing? He's like, I'm calling the spirit back to the tree. Because he might be mad at me if I don't do it correct way. When I start, my family eats the inside of this tree, they might die. And I want to make sure I'm appeasing the right spirit. We got to get to their core. We got to understand what drives them. And so we, we continue on. And uh, we learn their worldview, and we start to create tensions. Next slide. Pre-evangelism. So we go through these four years. And you see, in the Bible, God did this as well when he's talking to the rich man. Remember Jesus? He's like, go and sell everything. That wasn't the gospel. That was just to get them lost. That was just to help them see your worldview has holes in it. And that's what we're trying to do now with those first years that were in there. Because any worldview that's not biblical will have holes in it. And we start saying, well, this is true and this is true. How then can both be true? And guys are like, I never thought of that. And guys are like, I've been lied to. Ah, I'm going to punch someone. And I got to take it out on someone. He's like, this is horrible. Ask me something else. And so I asked him again. He's like, ah, we're screwed up. And he's just going on and on. And he's just like, all right, when you guys start telling us this message, I'm going to be there and listen. And the idea is we'd spend those times with him, just like when he was talking uh, to Nicodemus saying, you got to be born again. It wasn't the gospel there in John 3, 5, and 8. The gospel came in 316. But the prep time takes long, hard work. Patience. We waited three years before we ever mentioned the word God, the Bible. I mean, we talked about that's why we're here to tell you a very important message. But we didn't say it was from God. We just said it's a very important message that drives our lives. And that's why we're here. And so we spent that time. We get to the time of teaching. And you, you see evangelism. If you look in your little notes there, it's like the center one at the bottom. It says evangelism. Now's the time. Now's the time to start sharing God's story. Next slide. So this is where we met. We call it the teaching house. Okay? This is what it looks inside. Our coworker Brooks, he's teaching that day. Us three, we would rotate my coworker Tony's on the left there. We'd rotate and teach. Why? Because you don't want that rock star pastor mentality. So when Brooks leaves, we don't have any influence anymore. We all want to have equal influence as we teach God's word and model what the New Testament church should look like. So we're teaching there. And where do we start? We started with Genesis 1.1. You see, when during pre-evangelism, we showed them Apollo 13. We showed them what the moon looked like, what it took to get to the moon. And, and then when it crash landed and the guys said, we're here in Houston, everyone's like, woohoo! You know, yeah, the whole village erupted like, yeah, and they're following. And what we're trying to tell them is the world is bigger than you know. 
Showing them what a lion looks like for the first time. Okay, and then we start telling about God. And see, what we did in the very beginning, we spent weeks on just God. God's higher than the tree spirit. God's higher than the water spirit. God's higher than your dead ancestor. God is all-powerful. God created you. God knows your thoughts. And guys, I remember one of my fathers, 40 years old, he was sitting there, and we said he knows your thoughts. He, he just got up and he started smoking. He started pacing back and forth. And just like, oh, crap. None of our spirits know our thoughts. I know my thoughts. I know I'm screwed up, and now he knows me. Oh, shoot. And, and he started... The guys were doing that. Now, we do this because God needs to have his most rightful, highest place before we go into chapter 2 of his story. we got to know the main characters. His view has to be as high as possible, and we don't move on until we know, okay, God has his rightful place. So we talk about sin, and you're separated. And then to be separated from this great God we've just been talking about for weeks, it was terrible. And we kept talking about the fall. And we know in our methodology, you do not go past the fall unless they get it. Because there's no reason to move on. The whole point of this pre-evangelism and all of this is to show that you are lost. There is no way you can get yourself back to God. No many communions, following the Ten Commandments, attending church, loving your wife, say that I love you, give something, give money. None of that will get you back to God. You are separated. There's only one way. And it's God's way. And so we move on. And we talk about the Israelites and the stories. And they, they started to just get so sick and tired of the Israelites. And like, Tim, why did God write about these people? They just keep screwing up over and over. I'm tired of it. We know the end. And we talked about the calf. And someone has raised his hand. And he's, he's like, I know. They're going to reject God again. Those stupid people. And then they're saying, we're not like that. We'd listen, wouldn't we? And so we're just letting them... Be in the story for the first time. Let them follow through the Old Testament. Because when we come to the New Testament, God expects us to understand the Old. Go to chapter 1. Don't skip over to chapter 360. Okay? So we get them there. And then we start talking about the New Testament and Pharisees. And then at that point, people are like, you're a Pharisee. You are. And they're like, don't think you're getting out of this. You are one too. And our guys are just telling each other, oh my gosh, we are screwed up. Corporately, they're group thinkers, so when they get in a setting, they're just throwing out ideas, and they kind of jab each other, and they're like, okay, we're all screwed up. We got a problem. There's no way we can... We think we know it all. We thought we were better than the Israelites. We're just like them. And they identified with them in the New Testament because of what they saw in the Pharisees and themselves. And then, guys, we start to give the gospel. We start talking about Jesus. And all along, we went through Cain and Abel, um, we went through Abraham and Isaac talking about the Lamb of God, the sacrificial system. And so they know the Lamb was always the one that was killed in your place as a covering, not paid fully, a covering, a picture of what's to come. And so we started talking about Jesus. And one of my friends, Dowley, he went to my coworker Tony one day and he's like, oh, I couldn't sleep all night. You know why? Because John the Baptist, you preached yesterday that John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And I was up all night trying to connect the dots, and I just don't know. He's like, there has to be a connection, right? Like, there is. Okay, just tell me now. No, you, you tell me. And he's like, I don't know. 
I was up all night. I haven't slept. And I was like, keep coming. He's like, all right. I was hoping you'd just give it to me, but I, I knew you weren't going to be that easy on me. And so Tony sent him away. And then he came back again. And we said, okay, Jesus is going to die for our sins. I just don't know how, because the lamb's always covered. I don't know how he's going to pay for it. He's going to pay for it. I don't know. We give him like 20 bucks or something. I mean, I don't, what do you think? How, how am I doing? I'm like, you're getting there. He's like, did I get it? No. I thought you'd just tell me. And we went through this with people, person after person. Let them revel in it because this is what we don't want to have happen. And we see it all the time on the mission field, short-term trips. Pray a prayer after me. Say these words after me. Repeat after me. And I said, I can't repeat. This has to be you. You don't come and tell me. You don't come and ask me. You come and tell me, based on this and this and this in Scripture, I'm a believer. You need to be confident and tell me. I'm not going to try and coax you or follow, you know, lure you in through this just to kind of get you saved real quick. Wipe the fire off your butt. No, we want these guys to be solid because as high as fast as you go up is as fast as you're going to come down. And so that's why we go five months, five days a week teaching again and again and again. And so when we drop the gospel in their laps, instant understanding. It's like, ah. Oh. The veil was torn. God gave plenty of signs. And people were saved. We had about 20 believers that first day. Just amazing. And the gospel is simple. And some of you are ready to hear this today. That Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and he, was rose, he rose again. And just like all the lamb sacrifices in the Old Testament covered sin, his sacrifice will pay for your sins forever. Because this is what we told them. It's either you're on that altar, sacrificing yourself, and you're inevitably going to hell. Or you step off the altar, you place a sacrifice on the altar, and you present it to God. And the only sacrifice enough to make you clean again, to pay for your sin, is Jesus. And they got it. And many believed. It was very simple. Leading up to it, it took a lot. So I want you guys to watch a video. You're going to see what it was like for the last three years. Amen. Amen. God did it through all of us together. It's such a privilege to watch him work. That day of the gospel, we had a lady named Joanna... And uh, she was sitting in the corner all the time. And she, she went through our literacy course, and she's from another village. So this wasn't her home village. She speaks the same language, but she came and she said, all right, I'll listen. My husband died six years ago. Well, while she was there, she started a proposition, other men, and, and that's just cultural. You know, most women do do that in that situation. I'm not saying it's right, but her situation was she became like a prostitute in a sense. Um, and... The people in the village just started ragging on her, just saying, you are a piece of trash. Get out of here. You're not even worth to sit there and listen to the teaching. Just go. And people would make uh, remarks as she sat there in that spot. Ah, oh, isn't she horrible? She's, she's so messed up. There's a word, and I can't, it's like a cuss word here that they would use in Yembe. And it's just, she got so torn down verbally. Well, the day of the gospel came. She'd been listening in the whole time. Quiet, not really saying much. And Courtney was in the center of that little house I showed you. 
And I'm walking around trying to connect with guys. And I see her get up. And she starts to walk slowly. And right as she gets to Courtney, she immediately just grabs her hands and looks her in the eyes and says, Is it true? Is it true? Is that it? Does God really pay for every, every sin? And she said, yeah. And she just started bawling, just overwhelmed. And, and she's, I know I'm crying. I know I'm crying, but I, I'm just happy. I just can't believe there's someone out there that would forgive me, someone like me. And that, that now I can be with God and go straight to heaven. And she's just like, I'm just overwhelmed. And she starts shaking and then she starts, and Courtney's crying. We're all bawling at this point, just going, oh my gosh, and praise God. And she said, I'm, I'm being kicked out of the village. I got to leave tomorrow. But you know what? I got the lessons. I'm a first grade reader. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these lessons. I'm going to take it to my house. They can't kick me out of my house in my village. But I got two brothers. And they're listening to me because they're my younger brothers. And it's cultural. They have to. <laughs> but do you understand? Like when we first came in, they didn't have a written language. So you saw the alphabet. We had about 20 sounds. We're like, okay, 17 letters will cover these 20 sounds. So that was their first alphabet. Because this is what their Bible looked like. You've seen this before. Okay? There's nothing. Okay? That's why we went. And now they have the book of Mark. And we're going to continue on until we finish the whole New Testament. But you see, this is all for her to use. And so she starts reading. And Jesus said, go. Just reading like that. And her brothers listened for four months. And they're like, why didn't you go? Well, because we've been rejected from the other two villages. Persecution is intense, and we'll get into that. But they're like, no white missionaries. If a white missionary sets foot in here, uh, I can't even start talking about what they promised to do to us. So she's like, I know, but I'm going to go. And God used her to lead her two brothers to the Lord over a four-month period. And she brought them back. She's like, can you interview them? I'm not sure. I just, can you just check on them? Make, you know, tell them what you told me. And yeah, they were, they were saved. They knew it. And they said, man, it was long listening to our sister. <laughs> but it was worth it. Other guys, Bagi Dool, he's another man. And he pro- proclaimed his faith publicly. And the next, that night, actually, his parents-in-laws came in and stole all the money that they promised him for the little business endeavor they were going into, selling fish at a market, his wife left him, took their five kids, and he woke up the next day and just, his house was shambles. His box was broken into everything. Surprised he didn't hear it, honestly. And he gets up, and I just see him kind of coming up the hill Sunday morning. And he's just like, I could just tell, something's hit this guy. And it's like if you were to have a business partner and he gives you $50,000 down payment in America, and uh, overnight he takes it out, and then your wife leaves you. Your kids leave and you wake up empty with no way to have income like you planned. That's what this guy dealt with. And he came up and, and I remember thinking, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm just seeing all this persecution. This is one of hundreds, hundreds, not tens, hundreds of stories, guys, to give you an idea of what these guys are going through just because they choose Christ. And so I remember, okay, God, where in the Bible does it talk about suffering? You know, anybody here last week? Um, 
And, and God's like, it's everywhere. Just pick a book. So I just opened, went to Peter, and I went to First Peter 4.12. Ironically, that was a verse last week. And he's sitting in my chair in the office and just kind of, you know, heads downcast like this, listening. We're talking for hours. And I said, all right, buddy, I want to I encourage you with this. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange happening to you. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world. And his face went up, and he just sat back, and he's just like, all right, that's, that's it. What do I care what they think of me? It's about God, right? God's happy with me. It's all it. And you just left encouraged. And I'm just so, oh, that passage never meant that to me. I never had that kind of persecution. We knew baptism was going to be hard. Now, the whole village isn't against us. It's just about 10%. And um, we had our first baptism. Five got marked. They were going to be baptized. And then four more came forward just to say, I can't handle it. i got to get baptized. This is a spear in Yembe. And this has killed a couple pigs. And um, these are used mostly just for hunt. Well, that day of the baptism, the guys that are angry, they brought these out. And they made death threats. They say, you come out of that water, we're putting a spear through you. And fathers saying it to their sons. Daughter-in-laws saying it to their mother-in-laws. Mothers against daughters. Literally. Like this. And just ready. Now, they didn't do it. Some of them fake kind of throw, and some of them were drunk. But you see, when, they, when this guy came out of the water... I was looking at some of the other pictures. It's very solemn. Some people, uh, Brooks said they tried to clap a little bit, but it was overshadowed by the overwhelming yelling, chanting. These guys are just angry. They're drunk. They're hitting the... It's just insane. It's chaos. And that was our first baptism of these guys. They have a word for people that get saved, and it's a word It just means you're less than a pig. You're so below trash. And they're going through this. And, and Brooks and Nina are there right now, as I shared earlier, and they, they had to leave early last week. Um, they were planned to go out anyways, but uh, we had some people die recently, and um, they think that we're killing them. Um, they have this belief that you can fly around at night, and your spirit can put poison darts in people, so they're thinking we're doing that, and some other stuff. But guys, the point is, the persecution is there, and, and honestly, I kind of hope, we kind of hope it continues to some degree because we're seeing the tremendous growth in these believers. And now, Brooks and Nina, hopefully they'll come back in two weeks. But guys, this is where we've been the last three years. And I don't want you to go away today. I want you to be encouraged, yes, but don't go away that this is just a Tim and Courtney thing. I've been overwhelmed with something I want to share this morning. So if you get your Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 1. And as you open there, guys, we're going back. Um, As you see in your little big picture pamphlet there, we're going to be going back. We have six years at least of discipleship to finish the translation. Um, We're pregnant with our third. And um, yeah, amen. Um. So we're going to be here through till November, and then we're going to go back for another three years. 
And so when you see your little big picture, you can follow along. What are Tim and Courtney doing? Uh, you can look at that. But guys, I wanted to share with something that's very near and dear to my heart. Here I am. Let's not get to that. Let's read it first. Here we go. You guys ready? Got it? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. You see, you got to understand the Philippian church was going through some persecution as well. And he's like, guys, I, I, will, I don't want to hear that you're getting intimidated. I don't want to hear that you're stepping back in your faith. I want to hear that you're still baptizing, you're still preaching, you're still growing in your faith in spite of this. So that whether I'm away or back, I'm going to be encouraged because we're of like mind doing the same thing. And, and I was coming back on the airplane, sitting in Air New Zealand, and watching the dark night that was, and I'm just going, just in shock of our culture, just what am I coming back to? And I'm just going, oh my gosh, this is what our world is back home. And I, I remember thinking, Lord, I, I'm leaving all this, and I know if I was in Yemi and you found me sitting there doing your work, I wouldn't be ashamed. God, I'm going back to America. I don't want to be unashamed again. What do I do? Should I just go back? Should I not even come to America? I mean, to be honest, it was hard because we're... It's hard to read these emails and not be there to shoulder the burden. And, and God's like, you know what? It's the same. I want you to be doing the same thing you've been doing there in Yemby. That your manner of life is worthy of the gospel. What you're doing is the same. You see, when we get to Yemby, we know that our citizenship is in America. I have my home here. and We get there, so we build a house. It's all in the light of the fact that it's going to be torn down someday. It's going to be gone. The money, the car that we have as a mission that we drive, the base that we set up, everything we set up, it's designed that so when we leave, our presence won't be affected as far as the church growth. They'll be standing on their own two feet and they can grow. And there was guys there that came to the teaching and they're like, Tim, I knew this was the most important thing because you showed it. You didn't spend so much time on your house you didn't spend so much time on this other area. You spent time with us. You showed it. And so that's why I came to listen, because I knew this had to be the most important thing. Now I understand. I thought you were crazy before, but now it makes sense. And so that's what I want to live here when I come back. See, that your manner of life, Tim, will be worthy. And so where am I going? See, I loved my neighbor as myself and Yembi. What would my neighborhood say about me now? What would my neighborhood say that they remembered Tim Chanter for? Would it be like that guy that said, we saw your life and we knew you're all about the gospel and this is the most important thing to you, that your manner of life was worthy? I have to say some guys wouldn't say that about me. I was broken over that as I'm sitting on the plane coming over and like, God, so what do I need to change? And he's like, don't change a thing. You do the same thing you did in Yimby. Do it in Reseda where you're from, wherever you're at. That's the thing. Wherever you are at on this earth, you're designed to be a missionary. We use that term, and we, but I seriously believe this. We're ambassadors wherever you're dropped in this earth. In that last second part, it says, whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit and one 
mind. See, I want Brooks to be able to say that about me. Tim, no matter whether I'm in here in Yemby and he's really doing it and he's suffering and I'm back here, he can say that you are still about that one mind. You're still proclaiming the good news. Your life shows it. What you buy at Walmart shows it. How you talk to people in your conversation shows it that we know we're striving side by side. When I send that email, I know you're reading it and you're in tune with what's going on. When I have a need, you're going to send it there. When we have a need to send a, a, a team over, Cornerstone, send a team over to bless our children. Like we know we're engaged. We're striving, fighting side by side. And that's been my goal to come back. I want to model that type of sender that we long for as missionaries. That person who is like-minded in reaching this world with the gospel sacrificially. Focused. So that I can say, even though I'm standing here in the States, I'm striving side by side with you. And you know, I came back and I've been encouraged. I, I can look some people in the eyes and I can say, we've been striving side by side, haven't we? I can't say that about everyone in here. I think that's why this is such an appropriate message. Because I wasn't always like this. I grew up in the church. I know what it's like here. Where we think our ministry is only in the church, but not to our neighborhood. It's not a lifestyle. It doesn't drive everything. So instead of the end result being the house, being the work, being the job, that's all a means to the end. In order that the gospel might be advanced. Let's go to the, down a little bit. In chapter 1, verse 30 there, just follow it down. He says this, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I want Brooks to be able to say that about me. I want to say that to Brooks over in Papua New Guinea right now. I'm engaged in the same conflict. I'm not avoiding persecution. I'm not avoiding suffering. That I'm doing it here. And I'm being that like mind. And I'm in tune. And we're all about the same thing. How many years did we wait before we started sharing God with these people? You saw in the big picture there. For us, it was three. Three years, guys, listening, patiently, finding out the worldview. And I remember people telling us, you know, why don't you just share the gospel with us? Because we don't know them yet. The Spirit of God says, I take time. Just because America thinks there's a five-minute gospel presentation doesn't mean God's changed his way of reaching his people. Remember what I said, as fast as you go up, but you have no ground, foundation. And then we wonder why. Well, I thought they were saved. I thought he believed. No, you threw the gospel down the toilet and it got flushed one day because there was no solid foundation that it was dropped on. And so that's why I'm... I'm I'm telling you today, the process is the same. Take that big picture home, put it on your desk, and realize, apply the principles that are transferable to us here. We need to find out people's worldview. We're so quick to just, you know, do the four spiritual laws, God, sin, man, gospel. And that's what, that's what they hear. That's what I did. And then I'd say, oh, sure, gospel, gospel, you know, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. And then they say, oh, I don't want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, I'm being persecuted. No, you... You're provoking him to reject Christ. You haven't taken the time to listen to three years that we took to find out that worldview, love them, where he said, you held my baby. You tried everything to save him when he was about to die. 
I knew you cared about me. That's why I listened. Because we're in this together. I know you love me. And it convicted me because I think that's the way we need to have the same process here. When I go back to my neighborhood, I tried this with a 70-year-old man that I know. And I, t- I started talking to her like, okay, God, I'm going to apply this, what you told me on Air New Zealand here. I'm going to apply this and see what, what happens. And so I started sharing just about my life a bit. We didn't talk about me being a missionary. It was more, I want to hear about you. And I started writing it down, his stories, the worldview. Okay, there's uh, a Baptist hurt in his life. There's this, this, and this, and his worldview is this. And I started, I went home. Four conversations later, eight hours later, was the first time we talked about God. And he, he was just disarmed at that point. Because he started cussing around me. You know, and he's just so free. And he's like, because that's what we did in Yemi. We didn't tell him to stop cussing, stop smoking, stop drinking, stop doing all this, dress a certain way. We accepted him where they're out, found out their worldview. And when he gave him the same answer God did in Genesis 1 all the way at the appropriate time. I know it's hard. We all fear. I did. Maybe you're not like me, but I, I, I had a hard time sharing my faith. It's hard, because it, it, you, I don't know what to say, you know, I just, there's so much, and I'm afraid I'm going to miss something. Man, start studying Genesis. Start in chapter 1, where God starts. And that's where I start with everyone. I don't assume, just because you say you know God, I don't believe you. We've got to talk about who God is. Make sure he has his rightful place before we go to sin. I'm not even going to worry about Christ, because God has their salvation in view. They might take 10 years to get saved, but you're only going to meet up with him for the first two. And God's like, don't talk about Christ. You need to st- spend time loving them. He's about to lose his hus- uh, her husband of cancer. This guy's about to have an abortion. This guy is, girl, I want you to love them right now. And you listen, find out their worldview and start to create those tensions and consistencies. Don't even talk about Christ yet. Just love them and spend Genesis 1 through 4 and that's it. Because I have someone else who's going to come along the way and start going through more of it. And then in five years, someone else is going to come give the gospel. It's going to make sense. You might be at that point where it's time to share the gospel. But do you re- are you really sure it's time to share Christ? Just throw it at him? Without even listening? People love talking about themselves. I think all of us here do too. Are we willing to endure and take that time that God wants us to, striving together, engaged in the same conflict? I love that word engaged. Are you in the community? Do you even know your neighbors? Do the neighbors know you? Are we engaged together, doing the same thing, presenting the gospel his way, God's way? Because some of you need to hear this this morning. Uh, You can throw it up. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And based on this passage, I have to tell everyone here who's a believer, a child of God, it's time to go now. And what do I mean by that? Some of you need to hear this. We need you here to be here for the long haul. In your little village of Yembe Yembe, wherever that's called right now, where you live. 
You're in there. You're engaged. Because if you're the like mind, that's what us missionaries long to find those people who are of like mind. And they send us overseas, and, and then we're, we can say, ah, oh, we're engaged together. We're in the same conflict. We, we understand. We get it. And that's why I throw this Philippian passage so we can look in each other's eyes and say, yeah, we're fighting together. The more you get the idea that your life is about the gospel, the better sender you will be of missionaries. That we have the same mind. And we can enjoy fellowship that way. Okay, so that, you guys get that. The whole process takes time. Now, I got I to gotta end with this. We left nine years ago to start this process. And we devoted our lives to this. What we need overseas right now is long-term missionaries, soldiers that are going to stick it out. We've seen the negative effects over and over of short-term missions trips. It was great for the people that were on it. But the lasting result was devastating in some areas. Not always, like the team going now. But guys, you're a long-term missionary here, and we need long-termers to go overseas as well. You're going to stick it out, stay there with the neighbors, hold their kids, go to the hospital, love them when so-and-so is dying of cancer or whatever it is. And you develop that relationship over years. And then at the appropriate time, start sharing Christ. We need people to go overseas. And I left MBMB, I left Papua New Guinea, and I have had three letters handed to me personally asking for missionaries, saying, if you send someone, we'll house them, we'll put them in our little village, we'll give them land. We just want someone to tell us. We've seen the difference in the tribe upriver. We want that change. Just send us something. Send us someone. I'm sorry, we don't have anybody to send. Well, then this message must not be as important as you missionaries say it is. That's why I'm, I'm calling out. We need foot soldiers to give your life, not have a backup plan. Go now. Get up and go. Not because you love the culture or this, there's some romantic. No. When we decided to go, no matter what's thrown at us, we're going to take it and keep on going until we reach these people. And when we left, I was looking for a call. I never got a call. I was on the 118. Every time after service, Francis or missionary came, I was like, just give me the call, Lord, I'll go. Never got a call. Like what we're talking about there. No, it was, I got on my knees and I'm like, it's been four months and I'm, I'm still, I, I haven't heard you speak to me or I don't have this call that these, some people talk about this amazing experience. And God's, I, I opened up to this passage and God says, I've already called you. You're just not listening. Just go. And so that's why, all right. No emotion, it's just, all right, Lord, I'm stepping out. If you keep the doors open, let's keep it going. Because one of the things that was scaring me, I, there was a girl I liked here, and then there was, I mean, your fear of death. They say, you know, you're going to be a missionary. It generally takes 15 to 20 years off your life because of disease. I'm thinking, ah, oh, 60 as opposed to 80. You know, and I'm just going, and at that point in that day, it's, I just felt God saying, you know, would you rather live for me all out for 60 years than pursue your personal pursuits for 80? Prepare yourself to go home. And 
So some of you need to hear this today. You heard about the letters, the needs out there, the fact that there's a church here. There is no translation, no one that knows their language. It costs your life that God gave you and just give it all and say, I'm going to beat up my body for Christ like Paul did and go. So some of you need to hear this today. Follow Courtney and I as we have followed Christ. It's time to go. And you know who you are. Because that's what I needed to hear nine years ago. Are you willing to wait nine years before you open your mouth about God to these people? Ten years? Is it worth it? We have 60 believers now in Yembe. I'll see him in heaven. It's worth it. I was 18 when I left. I'm now 28. Guys, you can do this when you're young. I was a young band geek. People are looking at me going, yeah, you're a total dork. Look what God did through you. Guys, anyone, I'm just a normal follower of Christ. So we can do this. Amen. So I've enjoyed over the last uh, month and month or month and a half getting to know Tim a little bit better and um, having him share some of this stuff with me. And one thing that I never thought about before, and I bet some of you are uncomfortable with, um, he said a few times, but I'm really processing through it because it makes a whole lot of sense. Um, it, it might not be time to share Christ with someone. You guys might think, ah, gosh, that just doesn't sound biblical. It just doesn't sound right. And he talked to me a lot about, he talked to my theology class, he talked to my community of believers, and he said, he's like, we've got to create tension, we've got to build that foundation so we're not throwing the gospel down the toilet, because Jesus makes no sense. If he went into that tribe and day one said, believe in Jesus, they would probably associate Jesus with one of the, uh, one of the sky gods or whatever, right? Sky gods? I don't know, one of them, one of those spirits. And so I think one of the things that I want to spend some time doing, we're not going to sing because I'm tired of singing. Um, Honestly, you're going to hear me get on a soapbox here real quick. But um, we're going to put some verses on the screen, and all these are pre-gospel conversations, pre-evangelism conversations that Jesus had with people. If you look at Jesus' life, he didn't always come to someone and lay out the whole gospel. And for whatever reason, we've been trained here to always lay out the gospel with everybody, all four points, all the time, and then people are going to be saved. But I bet, for those of you that do it, you know it doesn't always work because you're blitzing them with truth, propositional truth, and you're not sharing with them the truth that God wants to share with them at the time. And if you look at the life of Jesus, he was always in tune with the person, with the culture, with the context, and he would share accordingly. And so... I just want you to spend a few minutes meditating on these verses of Jesus creating these tensions and sharing with different people he interacted with. So the thing I love about these verses is it shows how Jesus, he went into the context of the people, he met them where they were at, and he brought them along. He wasn't afraid to share the truth. He was very bold with the truth, but he shared appropriate truth to kind of bring them along with where they needed to go. And... Um, I was talking to Tim uh, this week. We were at the park with our families and talking through this Sunday. And he told me, he said, Matt, do you think I can tell people that they need to go? You know, he's like, I I just don't know if I should because, you know, that's what every missionary says. And uh, the more we talked about it, the more we realized that, honestly, all of you need to go. 
And if you don't go, you're disobedient. Seriously. Like, one of my jobs here at Cornerstone is the worship pastor, and I'm so tired of singing lately. Because it says in 1 Samuel, it says that uh, God says, does he want more burnt offerings or more sacrifices? And it says to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen to the voice of God is better than burnt offerings. Obedience is better than singing. Obedience is better. And a lot of you guys are going to go right out these doors and disobey God and continue to disobey, even though you might be in here and you might sing some good songs about him and we'll sing well, but then we go and we disobey. And the, the song of our life is an insult to Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. All of us need to go. It might not be to Papua New Guinea tomorrow, maybe later, but it might be today, this afternoon to your neighbor. It might be tomorrow to your coworker, and it might be not might, it is that God wants to use you in the context is where you're at. That's what I love about Tim. When he was in that airport, he was thinking, he's like, where to now? God, I'm coming back to the United States. Is my work kind of on hold? And God was like, no, same thing now, different place, America. And so he's been doing it. He has jury duty this week. He got on a, a jury, kind of sucks, but so he's like, he's telling me, I'm, he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ministering to them, loving them, listening to them, and being Christ to them in the jury room, to the judge, to whoever he interacts with. And you, here's the thing. Let me just be crystal clear. If you do not begin loving your neighbor, and I know there's so many excuses from, you know, my family to you don't know my neighbors or whatever it might be, you are disobeying and you're continuing to live a life of disobedience. If you call yourself a Christian, you've signed up to be a missionary and ambassador for Jesus Christ. Case closed. If you are not okay with that, you shouldn't be okay with being a Christian, and you should just stop calling yourself a Christian. If you guys think I'm being direct, I am.